welcome to Coffee Talk at Godric's Hollow. I'm Monica. Hi, I'm Anise. And this is episode three, The Fame Basilisk. Uh, we wanted to do an episode on the nature of fame and celebrity in the Potter series. So, Manish, do you want to take us through the, the main questions that we want to answer? Well, I think the first thing we want to talk about is, you know, how, how does J.K. Rowling show fame in the Potter world? What does it mean to be famous? And what, what kind of effects does that have on a person? I mean, for the most part, Harry Potter, you know, the boy who lived. I mean, how does the fame really affect him and his everyday life? Right, so a couple characters that we want to hone in on are, of course, Harry, yes. but also Gilderoy Lockhart, uh, Victor Crumb, the champions from Goblet of Fire, uh, of course, Rita Skeeter, and also Voldemort. And also Horace Lockhart. Right, right, the collector. The collector. The collector of all yeah. the fame. <laughs> and uh, for those of you that listen to Lady Gaga... Of course I do. Of course, most <laughs> of the world. Of what? <laughs> I mean, who doesn't really? I think. Well, actually, I think she has the most followers on Twitter. Our name comes from her album, The Fame Monster. So the Fame Basilisk, and we want to go into. <laughs> we want to get into who's been bitten by the Fame Basilisk. <laughs> we obviously we think we're very clever. <laughs> Dude, we're so clever. <laughs> <laughs> Remember, we're the edgiest and coolest. <laughs> Harry Potter podcast. Yeah, very cool. <laughs> but getting back to the topic. So, Harry Potter, born celebrity. Or, well, one-year-old celebrity. Yeah. How does that affect him? Well, okay, so you have Harry, and he's 11 years old. He suffered basically a decade of abuse and neglect from the Dursleys. And then he comes into this, like, strange world where he doesn't know anyone, but everyone knows him, everyone knows his parents, everyone knows how they died, and everyone knows who killed them, and what happened when he also tried to get it, when he was also <laughs> When he tried attempted. to get murdered. <laughs> <laughs> but when, when Voldemort tried to kill him, is what I mean to say. <laughs> so, you know, I, he sort of gets dropped into this world, and he doesn't know anything, he doesn't know anything about magic. And, um, I don't know, I, I mean, it must be, it's pretty harrowing, I think, for an 11-year-old boy to come into so much and not know anything about anything. Well, it's interesting because people like Snape and, um, and also, I guess, Draco, too, to a point, yeah. you know, always says things like, well, what about the celebrity here? <laughs> you know, and... Yeah. And Mr. Potter, our resident <laughs> fame whore. Um, no. <laughs> but, well, the fact that Harry wasn't thrown, wasn't in that his entire, you know, formative year, during his formative years, allowed him to be humble. But also, even when, when he did find out that you know, he has all this fame and all this recognition. It didn't change who he was. He didn't immediately grow this giant head and and start demanding all this respect for no reason. 
I mean, how could he? Because he's so used to being treated like nothing by the Dursleys. I mean, there's. I mean, I don't think you can really make a 180 change like that, even after learning all this stuff about yourself. The thing is, though, people yeah. do make 180 chain a change like that. Uh, we see it in real life all the time. Every celebrity started out from being a no one, unless you're Gwyneth Paltrow. But <laughs> hey, and. <laughs> A bunch of other celebrities don't hate on Gwyneth Paltrow. Okay, fine. No, I don't. I'm just jealous of her because of her husband. That's all. Uh, the Coldplay guy? The, the Coldplay guy, yes. <laughs> yes, him. <laughs> um, anyways, what I'm trying to say is that people change when when they get famous. And one, because they have to, because now they're in a different... They're a different society. They have different things that they have to uphold. But, yeah. uh, you know, all these child stars, it's not like, you know, they're, they're supposed to be rude to people or they're supposed to be unkind. Or but what's interesting about demanding. Harry is that he's, like, constantly humbled by the fact that he's not the smartest guy in the room. You know, he's, it's not that, like, the difference between him... And like these like child stars, whatever is that, you know he may he may realize he's famous and everything, but he still has that issue of he's also still learning about what's going on. You know he's still mm-hmm. learning how to fly, how to use a broom, how to uh, sorry those are the, how to use a wand. I mean <laughs> he's still learning all these spells, and he's he's in the same boat as a lot of these other kids, maybe even in a less um, right. Maybe in less situation because, you know, a lot of these kids were born in magical families and already know some of the basics. I mean, even Hermione knows how to do some spells. (laughs) That's because she reads so much and is so perfect. Um, But I think it speaks to his innate character. Yeah. To to be so humble and be so down to earth. Um, You know, and part of that would be due to all the neglect that he felt, maybe. Yeah. Uh, but I think that it, I think that it's opposite. You know, when, once people are given the spotlight, you know, many of them will do anything it takes to hold on to it. And I think that kind of this kind of segues into Gilroy Lockhart. Yeah. <laughs> who, you know, when we first meet him in, in book two, Hermione even spoons over him. <laughs> It's sort of interesting, uh, Lockhart's fame kind of comes from all these heroics that he does, or that he did, and, it, you know, he's, you know, he claims to have fought all these monsters and done all these things, and he writes about them, but uh, at the end of the day, he's just famous for kind of being famous, <laughs> much <laughs> like, you know, the, Karda- the Kardashians and, you know, the the Hills people, you know. Like the Real they, Housewives and everything. <laughs> the real, like, they're just, they're just sort of famous for just being, you know, good-looking and, like, go-getter enough to, and, like, being enough of a go-getter to, like, seek fame. And, when, yeah. and if, you con- if you contrast him to, like, Harry, who actually has battled monsters and has done all these heroic things, he sort of sees fame as, like, a burden. Like, it's something he has to deal with, you know, Colin Creevy taking pictures of him (laughs) and, you know, Snape belittling him because, for all the various reasons and all that. Whereas Lockhart, you know, accepts and embraces and instigate a lot of these (laughs) incidents with, 
you know, Hermione and the other young witches. I like how you brought that up, that for Harry, fame is a burden. That it's actually, it's holding him, (laughs) it makes him accountable in ways that he never really thought would matter. Um, Rita Skeeter taking every sentence he says and twisting it to, to her own agenda is not, it's not something that, that helps him or helps him move forward at all. Thinking of like Rita Skeeter, I mean, the fourth book, whenever, I mean, when, when Harry's name comes out of the goblet, everyone, everyone assumes he does it to, as some sort of act of bravado, even though logically it's impossible. I mean, there's no way he could have put his name in that, um, goblet. But everyone just assumes, I mean, even his own best friend, Ron. And, you know, what What makes people think that? Is it because Harry's so absorbed in his own internal and, and external battles that are kept secret, that kind of in the hallways and everything, you see this kind of, you see this boy walking around that keeps to himself kind of quietly, <laughs> or... I mean, we sort of, I mean, we sort of get the impression that people who don't know Harry see him as this golden boy, you know, he's the seeker on the Quidditch team, the youngest Quidditch player Hogwarts has ever had in, like, the last hundred whatever years. You know, he's Dumbledore's favorite. He's He even gets special treatment from McGonagall and from Hagrid, and not because he's some kid with, like, an obnoxious swagger, but because, you know, they <laughs> actually no care for him. <laughs> <Or Cedric>. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, they actually, you know, they care for him, and they, he does well in their classes enough to, you know, earn that sort of preferential treatment, even though I don't even think it's preferential treatment, it's just, you know, courtesy or whatever. I mean, maybe Hagrid prefers him over the other students, but, you know, so they sort of see all these external things about Harry that... You know, kind of, kind of, can be kind of irritating. You know, mm-hmm. if you're just a ra- random Ravenclaw who doesn't know him at all, it might seem a little obnoxious that here's this 11 year old playing seeker. Dumbledore loves him. McGonagall, Hagrid, all the teachers love him. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, he has he has people always telling him, you know, how amazing it is that he survives. And Lockhart is, you know, basically planning a book tour for the both of them. Right. <laughs> That's so funny. I I love how uh, in the movies it's Kenneth Branagh, yeah, right. Who who plays Lockhart and you? He does it really well in that he says, you know, both of us on in one photo. That's like a, <laughs> that's a gold mine for the papers, you know. Yeah, yeah. He he just sort of expects Harry to want that also, and so does everyone else. Mm-hmm. Because if you think about it, all these random people who don't know Harry. They're not special. I mean, they are special in their own way, of <laughs> Everybody's course. Everybody's like, the special. Barney way, they're special. <laughs> but, you know, they're not, they're not the boy or the girl who lived. They're not, their parents weren't killed by Voldemort directly, which is, you know, a big thing, you know, for the Dark Lord to kill someone on his own. But, you know what I mean? So, they're just, they just don't know what it's like. Right. Well... They have no idea. You know, with, with Lockhart... We we learn at the end of book two that, you know, everything that he wrote about was was false. It was all made up. Yeah. But, you know, or or did it, I can't remember now, but did he start off doing something legit? Um, I think what happened... Or was happened, it all fake? I don't, I don't really remember, to be honest, but I think what ended up happening was that he... 
uh, interview a lot of the people who did do those things and then just perform the memory charm. No, I, I understand that part. I, I was just trying to um, f- determine it's because, uh, like I said before, that once people get in the spotlight, they want to do anything to kind of stay in it. You know? Yeah. Like, everything that the Kardashians do. <laughs> they do anything <laughs> to stay in the spotlight. Even get married and get divorced for three months. Yes, <laughs> two and a half months, just about. But you know, maybe Lockhart. He kind of got this taste. He he had some third page, yeah. third page cut like story about him. And well, they, if you think about it, he probably spent profit. his entire childhood being told that he's so handsome and he's so smart and he's so so perfect that he just assumed that whatever he would do in his life, he would get that same kind of attention. Mm-hmm. And then he or just, he was abused as a child, and then now as an adult he seeks fame and approval. We don't know. As a way of acceptance. Yeah. And, but he's, he's definitely doing whatever it takes to, to stay yeah. on the cover, you know? And I think that that's a very... Uh, it's funny because the, the series kind of, it sort of teaches you that this kind of behavior is, is not acceptable. That that's not the kind of person you want to be. You don't want to be yeah. this fame mongrel who just, you know, yeah. takes advantage of people to, to get in front of the camera. But every, everybody in the world tries to, tries to be famous. And or tries to have their face or voice heard. <laughs> I mean, even we are. And it, you know, maybe we'll try to answer this question: Are we, as <laughs> Coffee Talk at Godric's Hollow, being bitten by this fame basilisk? As totally. We speak? Oh my God! I'm wow. So famous right now. We're both so, so famous. famous. <laughs> my voice gets recognized when I talk on the phone outside. Now it's just it's just spiraling out of control. <laughs> Just this heating yeah. nonsense of uh, just the fame reaching reaching its culmination for us. But well, <laughs> so God uh, Godric <laughs> Gilderoy <laughs> Gilderoy's fame leads to his demise. We can see that happening with Lindsay Lohan every day. Um, God, the poor girl. <laughs> but. It, it leads to his demise, his memory charmers backfire, and he ends up at St. Mungo's. Which, a little bit of trivia, at first we were going to name this podcast Coffee Talk at St. Mungo's. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> we're both so crazy about Harry Potter. Exactly. And in general. But we found that St. Mungo's is actually a legit uh, charity organization in the UK. They help people, uh, homeless people you know, find shelter and food, and they take care of them. So if you're feeling in the giving mood, I would suggest giving to St. Mungo's because it's a great cause. Yes. Well, it's, okay, since we're on that topic, um, maybe we should talk about J.K. Rowling and her fame story. Oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> uh, because, you know, she, I mean, we can just briefly touch on this, but it's, I mean, it's one of those stories that are just so wonderful and powerful and, you know, they're just so exciting. Like she's you know, a total nobody, total nobody, like, living paycheck to paycheck, but, like, barely. And she just writes this story, and it just sells, and just becomes this humongous worldwide phenomenon. 
and that's fine, you know, eight movies, a theme park, and like billions and billions of dollars. I mean, I think she is the richest woman in the United Kingdom, richest person in the United Kingdom. I mean, maybe, maybe she's second to like the royal family, but like, they're the royal family, so. Yeah, I don't know uh, if the royal family's like combined wealth <laughs> or just, yeah. Uh, yeah, but um, the story I want to tell you is that one time J.K. Rowling was on Oprah, and Oprah was asking her if she's, you know, because, because she came from nothing, if she feels, like, insecure about her wealth, and she, does she always, is she always afraid it's just going to go away, and she'll go back to where she was, and J.K. Rowling was like, yeah, you know, sometimes I have that fear, and then J.K. Rowling asked that question of Oprah, because Oprah also came from nothing, and Oprah was like, no, I never, I'm never afraid of that. <laughs> I thought that's so funny because it's like these these two women who are extremely powerful, extremely influential, great, but they have such different ideas about their fame. I mean, we can sort of see J.K. Rowling as like a Harry type, you know, because I'm sure Harry is always always thinking about how much he could lose, and he's lost so much in the seven years that we know him, right? That he could lose anything at any point he feels like, but whereas. Oprah, I mean, as good as she is, is kind of like a log cart where she's just like, yeah, I love being famous, and I'm, I mean, at this point, they, neither of those two women have anything to fear about their money being lost, unless they do, like, major bad investments, but they're both so rich that that's never going <laughs> well, to be an issue for them. For them, it's, I don't know if it is for, um, well, I would say for both of them. I mean, they're both incredibly intelligent, strong, powerful women yeah. who have presented the world with new and different ideas that have shaped many people. And, yeah. Well, our our thoughts, at least. Uh, I love Oprah, love her. Yeah, I mean, she's, I mean, she's great. <laughs> but, you know, maybe, you know, does for Oprah her her lifestyle offers her enough security? Yeah. In that, maybe it's that there's no, she doesn't have any fear of losing it all, but maybe deep down she knows that even if I did lose it all it wouldn't change how I feel about myself. Yeah. While with people like Gilderoy, Lockhart, if they lose it all, you know, they they lose lose everything. Um, I I just wanted to bring that up because it's always interesting to hear about these, like, you know, stories. Ultra-rich people and how they they think. Well, I mean, whenever you hear about people who came from nothing, rising to the top and being so successful, it's always inspiring. Right, yeah. Not that we'll ever have as much money as J.K. Rowling. You never know. (laughs) If you say it, you know, you are what, you become what you want to (laughs) be. Inspirational quotes from Coffee Talk at Godric's Hall. Yes, life lessons. (laughs) Life lessons. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so we meet Gilderoy in the second book, um, and then... Going into the fourth book, so much of the fourth book is about, you know, what gets written in the papers versus what's actually happening, um, yeah. and how people are perceived versus how they actually are. So we have this Triwizard Tournament, and one student is chosen from each school, obviously. Hogwarts ends up with two students. Incredulously, one of them is Harry Potter. Uh, Who knew it would be him of the thousands of students there? Uh, And immediately, these champions are celebrities of their time. So 
Uh, we also meet Rita Skeeter, who's one of my favorite characters. Uh, she is terrific in many ways. And so these these champions are well, they're supposed to be seventeen years old, but little Harry is only fourteen. And they're immediately plunged into the world of media, the world of having to have a public face. You know, their photographs are taken. Every event of theirs is is highly recorded, photographed. Um, and you know, how do you, how do these characters react to that? Um, you know, the, the funny thing about the the four champions is that Victor Crumb is already famous. Uh, from his Quidditch talents. Yeah, I mean, what, I, I always found it funny how Ron's, like, obsessed with him, but then as soon as he finds out that Victor Crumb and Hermione are a thing, he's, like, hates Crumb. <laughs> I also thought that was a funny character. Well, Crumb's an interesting character to begin with because he's already famous. He's already an international superstar. <laughs> yeah. By being on the Bulgarian Quidditch team. And he sort of plays into that like that celebrity stereotype that we have about, you know, yeah, he's muscular, he's handsome, he's like totally famous internationally, but all he does is sort of sit and think and Grunt. sit in the library and he's like brooding <laughs> and, you know, troubled. <laughs> and that he pines for Hermione, who, I mean, we, you know, we the readers know Hermione as this amazing person, but throughout the school, I think, I don't think she has a very good reputation. She's definitely not the the head cheerleader type that would right. that you would think would end up with someone like. like that. I would imagine that like Pansy Parkinson would want to go to the ball with Victor Crumb. Well, I guess on the Gryffindor side, you'd think it would either be Lavender or part of the Patel. Yeah, yeah, or you know, either the Patel twins would imagine. I would imagine they would want to mm-hmm. go with him. But you know, so he's. I mean, you. I feel like when you read about celebrities in the paper or, like, in magazines, they always have this, like, air of, like, oh, you know, we don't want to be celebrities or, you know, we really just read all night or sit at home and eat ice cream all night. <laughs> you know, like, I definitely read that a lot in, like, GQ magazine or, you know. Yeah, you always read magazines. about these, like, Mila Kunis's who are, yeah, well, I, mean, like, I just sit at home and I, I watch TLC all day and yeah, eat burritos. Yeah. Like, no, Mila, that's what I do. <laughs> That's not what you do. And I, I feel like Victor Crumb definitely plays into that uh, that type of celebrity because you would think that because he's so famous and handsome that he would like flirt with the girls all night long and <laughs> go on like long walks with you know Barbati Bato. <laughs> <laughs> long quote unquote walks. Yeah, I know what you mean. <laughs> well, interestingly, I'm gonna stop saying the word interestingly. Well, Victor has this momager in the form of Karkarov, who... Well, both he and Fleur have it, don't they? Oh, yeah. With Fleur Madame has Maxine. Madame Maxine, yeah. We absolutely knew that Karkarov wanted Crumb in. And then with Madame Maxine and Fleur, you know, maybe Fleur was, was the best student that Bobatons came to Hogwarts with. Which is interesting because she's, I feel like she's like the weakest of the champions. Well, I think we're meant to think that. We're meant to think that only because of kind of the physical descriptions that are given. Well, and the second task. Right, right. And she's the first one out in the fourth task, the third task. 
Oh yeah, I guess yeah. That's interesting. But, I mean, we should have talked about that in our in our feminism and gender roles. Well, next time we do feminism, we'll talk about. We'll talk about, about it in a different way. <laughs> <laughs> You know, either either way, the the goblet, which is designed to be able to, you know, somehow calculate who's the best candidate from each school, chose her right. for, you know, prob- for more than just her physical physical capability. Even we don't get that much information about her life, really. I mean, we know Victor Crumb and his knights and libraries, you know crushing on Hermione. We know we know Harry, of course. We know Cedric is humble, but everyone loves him, so it's hard for him to be humble. <laughs> Isn't it funny how in the in the movie when we come across Cedric or Cedric is it Cedric? I wanna say Cedric. Yeah, you come across Cedric and he's his head is in like some girl's lap or maybe it's a guy's, I can't remember. <laughs> and then That's in the fan fiction version. Oh sorry. <laughs> That's a slash fan fiction version. <laughs> and then uh you know, Harry walks by with his like overly heavy bag and is all like ugh like so stressed out and conflicted and angsty and then Cedric gets up and is like, Oh, oi Harry <laughs> Harry, use the uh, prefix bathroom. <laughs> bathroom. Yeah, I remember that scene very clearly. And um, we should mention that Cedric Diggory is played by Robert Pattinson, whom the world knows as Edward Cullen. Oh. And it's. No I feel way. Like, I feel like Cedric playing Robert. Cedric being played by Robert Pattinson is like foreshadowing of his shoot to superstardom as Edward. <laughs> I mean, because as soon as those movies came out, he was, like, the number one celebrity. Well, I mean, Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. He... And, like, as soon as his name comes out of the Goblet of Fire, he's, like, an instant celebrity. Wow. And everyone just is on his side because they're all against Harry. No, that's true. Um, and, you know, in thinking of... We can... <laughs> just in, in how the... Uh, how the champions were chosen. I heard this on a MuggleCast episode. It was interesting how they how they explained it, in that the champions that were chosen represent each house from Hogwarts, which the houses essentially represent the different types of people in, in like, the magical community. So Victor Crumb would be Slytherin, I right. assume? And Fleur would be Ravenclaw. Right. And then Harry and Cedric being from their houses. Right. Interesting. Yeah, that's just I can sort of see that. And it's it's funny because well it that's interest that's intriguing to me because uh that would mean that Hogwarts is like represented like legitimately by Hufflepuff. I mean if you think about it. Because Harry is like kind of an illegitimate contestant. Yeah. Yeah. So uh no, I, I mean, mean Hufflepuff he... is like the main, like that's like that's the kind of qualities that Hogwarts wants to show that it has. Wow, look at that! We're giving Hufflepuff their cred. Thank today. God, that's that, that's the house that I want to be in. If I because I I feel like they're I feel like I would fit in really well in Hufflepuff. Wow, I'm glad you pointed that out because all of our Hufflepuff <laughs> listeners will feel even more proud of who they are. Yeah, stand up. <laughs> <laughs> because no, Hufflepuff gets shafted sometimes. 
Oh, absolutely. You know, Gryffindor is like the best house, quote unquote, the Harry's <laughs> house. Slytherins are like the evil, cunning one. Ravenclaw's super smart, and then Hufflepuff is like he took all the, the rest. rest. Hufflepuff <laughs> took all the rest. But I, I mean, I think Hufflepuff is more mainly about loyalty and perseverance mm-hmm. and honesty. I mean, that that's what I get from. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I agree with you. And it, you know, it's, I mean, since you're talking about the champions and fame, I mean, Cedric could have totally milked the whole anti-Harry movement for his benefit. You but know, he didn't. But he didn't. And I think that's really admirable. Well, yeah, which also speaks to his character and yeah. how different people react to fame. I mean, he almost treats fame like a burden also. Oh my god, I can't believe all these people have Potter stings on their robes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I feel like that was that was definitely in the movie. I'm pretty sure they mentioned that he was against the Potter stings back yeah, yeah. in the book. No, I'm you're pretty right. sure. So, um, I think I think it's really telling of his character. Uh, which is maybe why he had to die, because he almost had to sacrifice himself for you know, the cause. I mean, Harry mentions how Cedric's death was a major motivation for him. Well, you know, the first death that he... Well, the third death that he sees, but the first one that... He, like, fully appreciates, I guess? Or uh, that he fully recognizes. Yeah. Um, and no matter what, that's going to have a scarring effect on you. <laughs> when somebody's murdered. When yeah. But. Well, last week we just want to mention Fleur Delacour and how she uh, she contradicts that stereotype about beautiful people. And she's very she's not shallow at all, and she loves Bill Weasley for everything that he is and isn't. Mm-hmm. And I think that we can bring that back to her, you know, treatment of her fame. I mean, she also isn't doing what people would think she's doing. She's not flirting with all the boys. She's no, not. That's Hermione. <laughs> yeah, I'll think you know that's Hermione. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, seriously, though, but she's not, you know, she's very, um, and she's very kind. I mean, when Harry saves her sister, you know, you would think that she might be a little bitter or a little jealous or envious because she couldn't do it herself or maybe a little angry at herself. And like, But she's very grateful and genuine about it, which is, a very surprisingly positive portrayal. When you think about the other characters in book four that are interviewed, don't a lot of them say like, "Oh yeah, you know, Harry like passed out in my <laughs> in like my divination class or something." Oh, yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> terrible things like that. They're not very nice, but um, when Harry himself is interviewed by. Lita's feeder. She uses her quick quotes quill that twists everything she says, which Rowling does a great job of kind of personifying that aspect of the media into this quill. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's incredibly clever. And I think we should try to create... If I could create a quick quotes quill, I would. I think it would make my... In school, it would have made my school notes infinitely more interesting. Um, You know, one of the funniest parts of Goblet of Fire, which I had forgotten because they didn't include it in the movie, but when there's all these articles about Hermione, you know, (laughs) 
going back and forth between man Harry eater. and Victor Hermione Crumb. man eater. <laughs> Hermione the man eater. <laughs> she um, she gets a really small Easter package from <laughs> Mrs. Yeah. Weasley. <laughs> And she starts, she almost starts crying, and she's like, Ron, does your mom read Venus Peter? And he's like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Hermione is... I know. Is and what makes me so mad about that is why did Ron write his mom and say, hey, none of this is true? Right, and And, he and why did Mrs. Weasley just know that Hermione's not like that? I mean, I feel like after three years of knowing her, since they spend most of the summers with her anyway... Well, I didn't. I didn't think they did until after that point, really, because they were still young, you know. Oh yeah, I guess in, in the third Voldemort summer. wasn't a threat yet, technically. Yeah, I guess. I, I say she's always around, you know, in the summer. Yeah. Well. Maybe, maybe it's like the last week before. Right. Yeah. Before they're, they went they're all to Diagon Alley. Diagon Alley. Um. But that's another thing that we could talk about is that. Fame doesn't just affect the person, but the people around them. You know, I mean, Hermione gets sort of dragged into this Rias Peter mess, and mm-hmm. so does Ron. And, uh, I mean, every everyone who knows Harry then kind of gets dragged into his fame, whether it's positively or negatively. I mean, even Draco has to deal with Harry's fame, and Snape has to, and, you know, Dumbledore has I mean, everyone has to. Right. And Hagrid, too. Especially since Hagrid's, you know, the... One of Harry's, like, good friends and strong supporters, he gets sucked into it, too. Mm-hmm. And get, you know, the worst parts of Rita Skeeter's quill. Right. I like that. I like that what you just brought up about um, Hermione, be, Hermione being this man-eater because, you know, there's... It, it's, shown, it's shown as her being with Harry and then also with Crumb, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I just... I think it's funny how that's the, like, that's the kind of gossip that Rowling decided to throw in, you know, into all of this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's sort of, it's, it's quite telling about our society and the magical society that the worst thing Hermione could do is sort of bounce between boyfriends. You know, when, I mean, I don't know, that seems almost natural for someone who's 14 and they're still discovering everything about themselves to, Mm -hmm. like, kind of switch between having a crush on Victor and having a crush on Harry. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I just didn't see it as that horrible a crime, (laughs) you know, if it were were true. Right. Whereas it's portrayed as this amazing betrayal and she's (laughs) such a little harlot. (laughs) Hermione the harlot. (laughs) We should have known. We definitely should have known. <laughs> um, but, well, Rita Skeeter, as we find out, is an animagus. Mad- magus. Animagus. I think it's a hard G. Animagus. We find out that Rita Skeeter is an animagus. She's a beetle. Which I think has its own metaphor attached to it. See, I, heard, I thought she was a mosquito because, I mean, I know she's a beetle, but I, because they cut that part out of the movie, so when I reread the book this past, you know, this past summer, I thought that she was a mosquito because, isn't Skeeter a nickname for a mosquito? Yeah, a yeah, but I think... I guess I was just... Is it a nickname just in America? I don't know. The Brits. I don't know. The Brits call it that. Maybe. Look how ignorant we are. 
That's American stereotypes. I know. <laughs> but, I mean, Rita is doing her job. She's getting the scoop. She's twisting it so that it becomes something more interesting than it actually is. I mean, yeah, her job is to sell newspapers. I mean, this economy, newspapers have to sell as much as they can. Well, the newspaper yeah. is definitely dying off. Right, and so she has to do what she can to make it sell, and she's doing that. But in the wizarding world, there are no iPhones or iPads. So yeah. I forgot that Hermione doesn't have a Facebook page. <laughs> she doesn't? <laughs> then whose wall have I been writing on? Um, <laughs> Which is something we can talk about in a later podcast, about how, like, they have no idea that, like, toaster ovens are cell phones. They just don't know the best of muggle culture. <laughs> Rita's a great character. She's funny, she's conniving. And she sort of gets her, quote-unquote, redemption uh, in the fifth book, when she writes the interview with Harry that sort of, you know the tell-all interview that he does for the quickware. Well, she's all about intrigue. Yeah. She's only going to write about stuff that's interesting or can be made interesting. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, mm-hmm. in this instance, she's doing it for the good of our heroes, not... Right. That's know. different than... Uh, but look at Hermione being the one to blackmail. <laughs> <laughs> we know that Rita likes to collect stories that are... In intriguing and interesting, but in the sixth book we meet Horace Slughorn who likes to collect people. And that's that's how Dumbledore describes him, that he's a collector. Yeah. He wants, he has the slug club, which is all the famous and smart and intelligent people who have been in his classes and who are currently at at Hogwarts. Uh, So originally in the Slug Club, he has Harry and Neville and Ginny. And Neville and Ginny, I think, are pretty random choices because, I mean, they're smart and everything, but they're not totally spectacular, not in the way that you know, Slughorn wants his club members to be. And then you also have Blaine Sabini, who is put there because his mom is really popular and beautiful. She must be some kind of, like, socialite, I guess. Yeah. And then... Um, Cormac McClagan. <laughs> His uncle? Or I like to call him Date Rate McClagan. I'm pretty sure he's not about slipping a girl a love potion. Date Rate McClagan. This is not funny, people. No, Do it's not, not funny. But no, because when I saw Half-Blood Prince, and like the way he just looks at Hermione, it just makes you so creeped out. Oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> so that's why I've been calling him for the last like, three years of my life. <laughs> Anyways, but, well, um, isn't Neville in the club because of his parents? Yeah, and then Ginny is in the club because uh, I guess I think like Slughorn saw her do some like really complicated hacks that she learned in the DA. Oh, okay. Or something. But um, I haven't gotten I haven't gotten to the part when Hermione gets invited to the club. But I know she does. Um, right. I don't remember that well. I don't remember like either. I, I don't remember the later books as much as I remember the earlier ones. But, uh, but I think the thing is is that with Slughorn, he's the he's the the girl on, on Twitter who 
you know, tweets pictures that she meets with when she meets with yeah. famous celebrities. Well, I mean, the funny thing about him is that he doesn't want to be famous himself. He just wants to know famous people so he can sort of collect the rewards. You know? Yeah, he just the wants tickets to... tickets to the games and chocolates and... Although what he would get from Harry, I don't know. <laughs> but Harry, yeah, but Harry's the on... biggest celebrity of the of their time. You know, he's yeah. the he's the boy you live. You get invited to Harry Potter's wedding. You know, you you get to rub elbows with these people who are exceptional. And the other, um, I, I I think it's funny that Harry gets the Half Blood Prince spell or potions book that same year. You know because. He succeeds in his potions the first time in his life. <laughs> and it just happens to be in front of the teacher who loves famous and intelligent people. So he already becomes the A student in Slughorn's eyes, even though he has such a troubled past with potions and with Snape. Whereas in Defense Against the Dark, Defense Against the Dark Arts, he's totally failing because Snape is a teacher and Snape is not giving anyone any benefit of the doubt or any help. So you kind of have this like reversal, and um, Harry's performance in Potions really like sets him to the top of the list of the Slug Club. And it's, he's not just being invited because he's Harry Potter, but he's also Harry Potter, the Potions whiz. You know, <laughs> Harry Potter. <laughs> you know, he's the boy who lived with amazingly talented at Potions, just like his Muggle-born mother. Well, what do you uh, you think? know something else interesting about Slughorn is that uh, when Harry first meets him, and he's telling Harry about how he loved his, how he loved uh, Lily Evans, but he kind of makes it seem like he loved her despite being a Muggleborn, and he kind of says seems that way about Hermione too. Well, um, wait, you mean that Snape said that? No, about... uh, Slughorn. Oh, oh, sorry, I think. You yeah. mentioned that in our last episode, actually, um, about Snape and Lily, but... Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, well... Because... Yeah, like, Slughorn's like... kind of that, uh, I'm not racist because I have ethnic friends. Right. <laughs> type of person. Um, well, because he probably doesn't want to, uh, he probably doesn't want to rub, rub anyone else wrong, you know? I mean, if he knows if he discriminates against Hermione because she's Muggleborn and she turns out to be this powerful—well, she is a powerful witch—but if she turns out to be this like really famous, powerful, successful person, then he'll totally lose out. Yeah, so well, uh, you know that's part of it, but I think that getting more into who Slughorn is and what motivates him—I think there's there's just there's a lot of holes in his life that that we don't exactly learn about. And we don't know enough about, but you can tell that he has to fill all this empty space in his life with these famous people, or these potentially right. famous people. You know, why <laughs> Why have this group meet? Why waste the school's fund on, <laughs> on having these fancy dinners so that these kids can talk to yeah. you? They can talk to you. <laughs> Well, also, he probably doesn't want to put himself on any one side should the other side win at the end. You know, he doesn't want to associate with Death Eaters because maybe he feels that his 
maybe he feels at the end of the day the good guys are going to win. Or, and then maybe, you know, if the situation were different and the, the Death Eaters were on the rise and, you know, gaining more and more power and, I mean, they are more powerful than you know, our heroes, but if he felt that the war was going to go in a different way, that he would align himself with the Malfoys and not the Slugs. You know what I mean? He, does, he wants to be in the middle just so he can choose the, the winning side when they're winning. Horace is just that kind of a man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, wants, he wants to be on the winning side. I'm trying to think of the, the literary character that I can refer to about this, but I was watching 300 today, and there's that there's that hunchback character. Oh, yeah. He, yeah. he reminds me... I mean, what you just described reminds me of him. Uh... I want to be on the winning side, or who I think is going to be the winning side. I mean, even I, whenever I watch Super Bowl, I'm always go team to the team that's winning. Oh, come on. <laughs> Seriously, though. I, because you know me in football. Like, I just don't care. So if, no. if I'm watching it, and wh- whoever's winning, I'm on their side. Because I want to be celebrating at the end, not depressed. Well... We know how you fall. <laughs> so I'm definitely a slughorn. It's <laughs> totally a slughorn. I wouldn't mind being a slughorn. No, he gets free tickets to all these footage games. <laughs> right. <laughs> he gets gifted wonderful bottles of brandy. Yeah. Um, but, well, what we another thing that we learned in the sixth book is is how involved Slughorn ended up being with the de- the demise of Tom Riddle. And yeah. Voldemort slash Tom Riddle is another celebrity that we wanted to discuss. Because he's a showman. Voldemort is a is a showman. He He, he likes, likes giving your, uh, mm-hmm. He likes giving things a big event. Yeah, giving big speeches, making mean jokes. I mean, going back to the fourth book, you know, he could have kidnapped Harry. I mean, okay, maybe he couldn't have kidnapped Harry at any time, but he makes Harry go through this, you know, tribal tournament, you know, and it's like this whole big extravaganza that, and it's like he wants, it's like he wants his plan to have the, he, he sort of wants his plan to be like the result of this huge tournament. And I mean, I know technically he didn't plan the tournament. I mean, he, it was more by luck that he found out that it was happening. But No, still, no, I mean, I, it he, wasn't, it wasn't by luck. It was definitely his efforts. Because what Voldemort's doing, and you, you just said it, is that he's creating, he's creating an audience for himself. Wait, I'm sorry, are you saying that, because uh, from what I understand of the story is that he happened upon Bertha Jorkin. Who told him it was happening? Oh and right, and she was on vacation. It. Yeah, she's yeah. in Albania or something. <laughs> I guess that's a hot spot for. <laughs> you know, it actually is a hot spot in Harry Potter because everyone goes to Albania. Like, oh yeah, even where, Helena Ravenclaw. That's where right? Ravenclaw went. Why? Like, I don't know. Why? Helena Ravenclaw. We were talking about last week. Yeah. She went to Albania when she like ran away. Yeah, and, like, she other did. people go to Albania too. That's strange. <laughs> But anyway, so, yeah, so he goes through this big, you know, production of the Triwizard Tournament, and, like, that's, and then he has this huge ceremony 
when technically he could have used any any villain any of his enemies' blood for the potion, but he had to use Harry's. It had to be Harry. Well, Harry's special probably on a on a number of different levels, so that now he can touch yeah. him and and everything. But right. no, I I think what you mean maybe what you mean is that couldn't Harry have just you know. Barty Crouch could have gotten, like, Hermione's hair. Right, exactly. And been like, Ron's stuck in the woods with whoever, or Ron's being taken by Centaur to come help me. And that would have right, definitely exactly. gotten him away so much faster. But he had to go through this whole, um, this whole thing. He had to gain his power first. That's probably one part. But then when he goes to the cemetery, he has to do it at that site. That has so much meaning, <laughs> because that's where his father's bones are buried. Right. Uh, he has to call all of his Death Eaters, so that he has these people in front of him to show what he's about to do. So, it's not just about having a a real material form to live in again, or having the means to to have physical power again for Voldemort. It's about being able to show what he's capable of again. But, incidentally, when he does come back to power, no one believes him, then he stays low for an entire year. And he doesn't do anything that grand. You know? He doesn't make anything a big production. Because he knows that it's to his benefit to stay underground and to not, to not give the ministry any indication that he's back. Right, he's slowly and then it, you know, it puts Harry on edge too because then mm-hmm. Harry's more vulnerable. So, I mean, I think I think Voldemort does like you know a production, but I think he also knows when not being a, a showman is to his benefit. Right, but Voldemort putting on a production is definitely seen in the last book as well, and yeah. and perfectly portrayed by Rafe Fiends. Yeah. In, in the last yeah. two films as well. Just his maniacal laughter. Yo. It's, <laughs> it's such a chilling laugh. Like, <laughs> it's a laugh with almost no mirth to it. Oh, none. There's no such thing as <laughs> happiness for Voldemort. Yeah, I mean, even There's when he day. is happy, he's in despair. Because <laughs> he knows that he whatever... He doesn't have a soul. He doesn't, yeah, have, he doesn't a have a soul. soul, really. <laughs> or he has like an eighth of a soul. I <laughs> <laughs> or a ninth of the soul. Uh, I but, mean, wait, even the Horcruxes, I mean, we're talking about them, even that's some kind of, like, big show. You know, I mean, he has all these important uh, objects. I mean, he could have just used any, you know, any, like, paperclip or, like, you know, as <laughs> no, a Horcrux. you're right, yeah. But, you know, he has to use the, the, you know, the, <laughs> the lost diadem and, you know, Slytherin's locket and, his, and the ring and, uh, the the Hufflepuff cup, you know, he has to use these. Well, okay, maybe it's in like Horcrux magic, but they have to be important objects. But even still, I mean, he must have had some possessions, or you, you like, you know what I mean? Like, he has to use all these like grand things and hide them in these, you know, obscure places so that people, you know, so that when you find it, it's like a big, you know. Big <laughs> I, no, no, you're. I think you're completely correct in that. Why not just have it be seven, you know, seven cups that you keep in your cupboard and no one is ever going to touch them? Yeah. You know? 
I mean, I guess it makes sense to have them spread apart so that spatially, you know, it wouldn't just be one, one big Horcrux destroying party, but you know, having them be very significant pieces, you know. You know, and then in the in the eighth movie and in the books also, you know, Helena Ravenclaw is, you know, she's so. Like, she's so upset that he, like, defiles her family heirloom. And it's, like, um, and it's sort of, he's sort of taking these important objects, you know, I mean, the, you know, the diadem and the cup and the, um, sorry, is it... You're right, the horcruxes themselves add to how Voldemort wants to be known, he wants to be remembered. And, I mean, what's Voldemort's main goal in the series? Immortality, correct? Isn't that just another way of being famous forever? <laughs> yeah. I mean, isn't that what all celebrities want, is to never be forgotten? Right. So, I, I mean, in some ways he's just as fame-hungry as Gildor Lockhart, <laughs> but <laughs> to the, you know, most horrible extreme of all time. <laughs> so, Voldemort, too, has been bitten by the fame basilisk. Bitten and... Like consumed, <laughs> <laughs> consumed by the theme. I mean, that is his favorite monster, so it's befitting. It's definitely something that Rowling thought about, that Joe thought about when she was writing this. Yeah. You know, everybody repeats the the same quote by Andy Warhol, but that but everybody does end up having their fifteen minutes of fame, and it's very apparent in the series. Everybody wants attention, except for Harry. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, going back to the fourth book again, which is, I guess is the most, you know, about fame of all of them, I mean, even Harry's saving Fleur's sister, I mean, that has to be some, there has to be something in his mind that wants that attention. Of, I mean, I mean, it's been debated endlessly of whether Harry could really have been that dense to think that these four people are going to die <laughs> if no one saves them. Right. It's No, it's just, it's Harry's need and thought that he has to save everybody. That he has to be this grand protector. Like every other superhero story. Yeah. In that, I'm here, I have the ability, so I should do it. Not that I yeah. have to. I think that's what it speaks to. It's, it's, this, it's another internal character point yeah i guess it's it's i mean it's sort of hard to read that section of the book and see it in the film and not be like wow harry you are really playing into everyone's stereotypes <laughs> about you <laughs> poor harry such a conflicted life it's like he's he's like damned if he does damned if he doesn't <laughs> well don't you think that you know you you hear about people who who are so involved in what they were doing, you know, big, big corporate lawyers that were kind of the faces of their companies and they got so tired with it all and they left and now they live off the grid and everything. You know, you'd think yeah. Harry would do something like that. Well, maybe he <laughs> you know? does. I mean, no, he doesn't. I mean, we obviously see he doesn't. He sends his kids to Hogwarts. Yeah. Um, and at the end of the, at the end of the book, everybody's staring at them and Ron makes this a joke. Oh, they're staring at me because I'm incredibly famous. 
But I just remember the, the first thing I thought at the when I read that was, wait, Ron, aren't you famous? Everybody knows who you are also. Yeah. So that's not that funny, Ron. Humble brag. <laughs> Hashtag <laughs> humble brag. That's definitely a, yeah, humble brag. Sure. <laughs> I mean, well, they all are famous. You know, Harry, Ron, Hermione, Ginny, Neville, Luna. I mean, they all, I mean, everyone played their part in, you know, defeating Voldemort. I mean, even the most minuscule of characters, like the fossil twin, Lavender Brown, I mean, they all... And, right, you know, I mean, everybody had their part, but the trio was them, definitely... The trio, yeah, they're definitely the, the, most. the most famous. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, I mean, it makes you wonder about poor Albus Severus Potter. Oh, man, I mean, not only does he have a ridiculous name like that, but now he's Harry Potter's son going to Hogwarts. might as well have named him Harry Jr., yeah, basically. Potter. Like, might as well. Have. <laughs> um, I, so, I mean, you know how much I hate the name Alice Severus. <laughs> it's, just, it's just too too precious. Like, named after the two greatest headmasters. I've ever known. Although, technically, when Severus was headmaster, he was a cruel headmaster, so... Yeah, Albus is too young to know all of that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I wonder if, like, Draco's children are going to terrorize Albus Severus. I don't know. You know, for being famous. We like to think that it's just going to be this perfect... Yeah, but Slytherins will always be Slytherins, and Gryffindors will always be Gryffindors. That's true. There's there's always going to be that school, inter-school rivalry. So our only words of advice to you all are... Don't get bitten by the famed basilisk. Like we have. Like we have. It's so bad. <laughs> but we do. Have, but we do have some some things we want to share with you. We have a Facebook page now, entitled Coffee Talk at Godric's Hollow. You're required to like us, but please, please like us. And uh, you know, just look out for you know pictures, videos, trivia, poll questions. You know, we want to create like a community on Facebook, really. Right, we want to share discussion online. Yeah, absolutely, and we also we have a Twitter, a Twitter account. So follow us on Twitter at CT Godric's Hollow. And please, yeah, please follow us so you can get updates on what we're doing. And yeah, and again, if you agree or disagree with any of our comments, feel free to tell us. We we want to know your opinions. And if you have ideas for other shows, then. Yeah, Send those to us as well. Yes. But thank you, and right, look we'll out for our time. look Thanks. out for our next episode and, and updates on our Facebook page and Twitter. <laughs>